0: Let us pray as we come to God's Word, and then let us read this text. Let us bow. Lord, we thank you for your Word. And Lord, we, instead of sitting in judgment of your Word, Lord, we ask that we might sit under its authority, because it is the very Word of God. It is inspired by your Spirit, Lord, and it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray that it would go into our hearts and cut out what needs to be cut out from us. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace and wisdom. And I pray that we would understand what you have for us. And Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Mark 5, 21. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us this evening in his holy and inerrant word. We live in a world today that is full of distractions. I think that's something we could all agree on in The way that we're bombarded constantly with various media. And and because of some, I think there there are studies to to help us see a connection between this bombardment of media and a rise in ADD, attention deficit disorder. I have a friend in Wichita who runs a business, and he would often um, uh, complain to me about the difficulty of finding good help. help he told me about this one young man that he had, fi- had hired, and he said, I think he has ADOS. And I thought maybe he just couldn't remember the, the, the letters of, of the diagnosis. And I said, ADOS, what's that? He said, attention deficit, oh, squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't even get through the diagnosis. So, but when we look at this text, it almost seems like Jesus has attention deficit disorder. Because he is going to one place and then he stops in the middle of what he's doing and and addresses another need. Here is this man, Jairus, who comes to him in faith. He comes in his hour of greatest need. Jesus responds to him. He begins following him to his home to see his daughter who is nearing death. And he stops along the way to deal with something that really seems less urgent. Yes, this woman had a great need, but yet certainly it wasn't as serious as a 12-year-old girl who is at the point of death. And really, when you think about it, Jesus didn't have to stop. He was in the middle of a huge crowd. He was, he was thronged with people all around him. And even if that woman would, did touch him, he didn't have to stop and question her. And yet he did. But Jesus is not <clears throat> just distracted or lollygagging, as we would say... In this text, no, Jesus is teaching Jairus and us that because of his sovereign authority over all things, even sickness and death, he sometimes works in ways that we don't understand. And he does it to grow our faith, and he does it for our good. And because of the faith of of both of of these uh, people in this story... ...Jairus and the, and the woman who's not even named... ...we see four types of faith really in this text. And I hope that, that as we examine them... ...they will help us understand more of the faith that we should have. And those four types that, that will form our outline are this... ...a courageous faith... ...a weak faith... ...a frustrated faith... ...and a growing faith. First we see a courageous faith... ...as this ruler of the synagogue comes to Jesus with his need. The account opens like so many other texts as we've gone along in Mark, a boat and great crowds. And we see his faith in at least two ways. The first we see in how he ignored the pressures of his position. Commentators tell us that he, the text tells us that he was a ruler of the synagogue and commentators tell us that those men were often Pharisees. Well, think about as we have gone along in in the text that we've examined in Moses, we've seen this great conflict that's growing, that's developing between the Pharisees and Christ, these rulers of the synagogue. Well, he was, Jairus was a chief in the synagogue. He was the man in charge. He had oversight of the worship. As we said, most of these types of men were Pharisees. And he was not a priest, but you would expect him to be politically and socially aligned with those leaders that were antagonistic to Christ and his ministry. He was probably well known. He was no doubt a man that was respected in the community of Capernaum. But he didn't care. He was desperate. His daughter was dying and he had to get help. And his courageous faith is also seen secondly in how he approached Jesus... We see a series of of verbs in uh, verses 22 to 23 where he came, he saw, he fell, he implored, he begged Jesus to help him. Notice the passion of his words in verse 23. He says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. He knew that Jesus could help him. He knew. He had seen Jesus heal the man with the withered hand probably in the temple, in the synagogue there in Capernaum. So the issue was not necessarily can you, but will you, Jesus? Will you come? My daughter is dying. Luke tells us, if we we look at the account from Luke, it tells us that it's his only daughter. His baby was at the point of death. And his, his faith was courageous, almost reckless, because he was in such a desperate situation. Few things that can will affect us, like the illness of our children. I remember when, when a couple of my children had a high fever, and just the helplessness that I felt. We had a, uh, friends in Kansas who had a daughter who had a, a heart condition, and, and actually died at the age of six years old. And it was... They, they wrote a story, they wrote a book about their experiences, and it was so interesting how God used that 911 call when the father called, and it was actually the night that she died. And just the desperation in his voice as he prayed to God and as he sought to help his daughter, God used that in the salvation of that 911 operator. But there's few things that can compare to the passion that we feel for a child, our own children, in need Jairus had a courageous faith that brought him to Christ in his hour of greatest need. But sometimes it's when we are the most desperate that we have the strongest faith. And it's some, often that's been the case in my own life. When I realize that if God doesn't help me, I have nowhere else to turn. And in a sense, this may sound strange to some of you, but in a sense there is a comfort in that. To know that you can and have to cast yourself unreservedly upon the mercy of your Heavenly Father. If you have nowhere else to turn, you're desperate and you can just cast everything upon Him. And that's what we see in this ruler of the synagogue as he came to Jesus. And Jesus replied to him, but yet along the way we see a woman who has a very different kind of faith. She has a weak faith. This story gets quite interesting at this point, not that it wasn't before. Mark recalls this account account, and he, he interposes this other story, but the other gospel authors tell it in a similar way, that Jesus stopped and interacted with this woman. And in it we learn that Jesus answers and rewards even weak faith, even misguided faith. ...in his mercy. Mark tells us of the great crowd that surrounds Jesus. It it reminds me as a dad of when my children were small and we... The, the, we didn't always take them to the grocery store with us. But when we did, they just kind of moved as a mass, you know, up and down the aisles. And, and that's kind of what we picture of Jesus in this crowd. Yes, he is moving towards the, the, the home of this, this synagogue leader. But yet there's just so many people around him impeding his progress and slowing him down. And then we see this woman appear. And here he slows the narrative down to tell us a bit about her suffering. Look with me at verse 26, where it tells us about this woman. It says she had suffered much under many physicians. She had spent all that she had. She was no better for it. In fact, she was worse. She grew worse in spite of and maybe even because of the treatments that she had received. It's interesting that in Luke, who was a physician, he, he kind of lightens this a little bit. And he says that she had spent her money, but she could not be healed by anyone. She did, he didn't quite cast the doctors in quite the, the negative light that Mark does. But, but she was desperate. She was hopeless. There was no one that could help her. And she was ceremonially unclean. Anyone who touched her would be unclean. She could not go to the synagogue to worship. She, and anybody who touched her was forbidden from that as well. She knew of Christ's power and she just had to get to Him. Her intentions are seen clearly in verse 28 where she says, If I touch even His garments, I will be made well. She touched Jesus and immediately she was healed. Verse 29 says, and immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She knew she was healed. I'm sure if you checked her hemoglobin levels at that time, they would have been normal. She knew she was healed. She felt it in her body. And Jesus felt it too. Now, I can't fully explain this, what, what was going on in that moment, but Jesus knew it. And he stopped. He asked, who touched me? He didn't do it because she was ceremonially unclean and he was angry about it. No, Christ's power and authority transcends those ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. He is ushering in the new covenant in in bringing something new. But Jesus stopped that day to showcase a faith that was weak and uninformed and bordering on superstitious. Yet a faith that laid hold of Jesus Christ. Jesus wanted his disciples and Jairus and the woman and you and I to see that it's not just touching the hem of a robe that saved, but it's casting your faith and you're all completely upon Jesus Christ. Your faith doesn't need to be spectacular. You don't have to walk on water. You don't have to seek spectacular signs. Jesus is looking for a true faith, even though it might be a weak faith that really truly trusts in him. Think of the thief up on the cross. He didn't have a lot of theological knowledge. His desperate prayer was simple. Jesus, remember me when you come into paradise, when you come into your kingdom, to which Jesus replied, today you will be with me in paradise. It only takes a weak faith, saints of God, to lay hold upon a strong Christ. Next, we see a frustrated faith. Now, the text really doesn't tell us of, of frustration on the part of Jairus, but we can't help but think that it would be because here his daughter was at the point of death and, and Jesus was responding to him. Jesus was moving towards his home. Jesus was moving to the place where, where in his mind he could minister effectively to his daughter and yet the crowds are slowing him down and here's this unclean woman that touches the hem of his garment and Jesus takes the time to say, who touched me? And the disciples respond almost like, really, Jesus? Look at all these people. You're wondering who touched you? Everybody touched you. Yet Jesus is stopping to teach and to instruct and to help a woman with weak faith and instruct everybody there and us what true faith should look like. Jairus had come in a moment of desperate need and Jesus stopped to address The the needs of this woman. And he ends this encounter with this woman saying, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And then there's there's a bitter irony in the next verse. Because this messenger comes and says, Your daughter is dead. No doubt the words of Christ are still ringing in his head. Where he had told this woman, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And this messenger says, Your daughter is dead. And we can't help but what probably ran through his mind was similar to what Mary and Martha were saying. Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. He's probably wondering, what is going on? Why did Jesus have to delay when he could have made all the difference for my daughter? Perhaps it's you tonight. You thought that God was answering your prayer. Things were moving in a good direction, you thought. And then they stopped it looks like Jesus is delaying in his answer in addressing something that is desperately needed. Perhaps you hear the words of others saying, like in this text, those who came that said, why bother Jesus any longer about this? Sometimes you may even wonder, does Jesus care? Sometimes even in our most pressing need, God tells us to wait. That's so hard. But he does it to teach us. He does it To build our faith. And that's what he does. He grows our faith. And that's what we want to to look at finally is a growing faith. So how did Christ help Jairus in his faith? Well first he reminds him that God's plans are unaffected by circumstances. Notice Jesus' response to those that came with such bitter and bad news about his daughter dying. It says that Jesus, overhearing what they said, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Jesus pressed forward knowing exactly what he was doing. This was Christ's plan all along. Jesus was not surprised by this messenger that came and said, your daughter is dead. No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And he replies in such a way to help Jairus lift his eyes off of circumstances and place them upon Christ. He just says, don't fear, trust in me. He tells him not to fear. He also recognizes he doesn't scold him for his fear. He recognizes that fear is a natural part of our human existence because we don't know all the circumstances. Christ knows that. He recognizes that fear is part of our human frailty. But he tells him it's not necessary. The reason it's not necessary is because Christ is in control. And then he urges Jairus to do something that is simple to say, but often hard to do. And that is to replace fear with faith. Faith in his sovereign care. He says, do not fear, only believe. And if we want to have a growing faith, we too must remember that God's plans are unaffected by circumstances, no matter how bleak they may be. We've got to remind ourselves that God is not just doing things randomly. We're not simply in a cosmic pinball machine, bouncing from light to pulsing bumper and flippers that just knock us all around. God is in control. God is working all things to his glory and our good. He's ordering our steps. Man plans his way, but it is God who establishes his steps. It tells us in Proverbs. We should not fear, but we should replace fear with faith. And we must remember that God has a purpose in all that he does. And that there are lessons in suffering. And that behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. 2 Corinthians 4 reminds us, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look to the things that are seen, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal the psalmist in psalm 119 he says i know o lord that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you afflicted me what a statement what a statement the family that i that i that i mentioned that that lost their little girl at 6 years old she wrote a book the mother wrote a book about that account and it was called in faithfulness he afflicted me what a concept that we as believers need to continually strive to get our head around that God is faithful in all of His ways, even even in affliction. And then Jesus rewards the faith of Jairus in such a sweet and tender way. After... After sending out the mourners and the crowds and with just his closest disciples and the parents in the room, he bids the girl to rise. He says, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. That's, that's a pet name. I, I think it, it means lamb. You know, it's, it's just like a, a mother who would tenderly awaken a child who's just been sleeping. The phrase that Mark gives us is in Aramaic and, and it, it points us to the humanity of Christ and His tenderness and compassion for this child and her family. And Jesus is right there to greet her as she comes back to life. And we see in this second healing, just like in the first one, a complete healing. This little girl was not sick when she returned from the dead. She, was, she had an appetite. She was ready to eat. They, Jesus instructed her, them to give her something to eat. But what about those times when Christ's delay results in the most unfavorable circumstances? But it is then, more than ever, that we must lay hold on Christ in faith, knowing that even when we don't receive the answer that we want, He's still working things for our good. And also we need to remember that these two ladies, the heroines of our story, they did die. They're not here today to to tell us about these events. Mark gives us this account to, to build our faith, to show us the Messiah who conquered disease and death. And sometimes the healing that takes place is glorification. We know that these miracles were just a shadow of the authority of Christ and His victory over sin and death. ...itself. Jesus said in Revelation 1... ...fear not, I am the first and the last... ...and the living one. I died and behold I am alive forevermore... ...and I have the keys of death and Hades. The ultimate restoration that any of us can have... ...is eternal life. And that eternal life begins... ...when you trust in Christ as your Savior. And if you are in Christ... ...that has started... ...in the here and now. We need not fear... ...for Christ is in control. He is the sovereign Messiah over all. He is working all things for our good. He's building our faith, and He will bring us home with Him forever. Let us pray.